The Seattle Seahawks got their asses kicked by the San Francisco 49ers last Sunday, dropping them to 1-1 one one on the season. With one impressive win and one egregious loss, where exactly does this team stand? Joining us to discuss that, the upcoming game against the Falcons, and a lot more is Yahoo Sports' Charles McDonald. Let's light them up. I'm Jackson Bevins, and this is Cigar Thoughts. Welcome back to the Cigar Lounge. I am Jackson Bevins, and along with my globe-trotting producer, Mike Barwin, this is the Cigar Thoughts Podcast. Mike, how are we doing today? Feeling worldly, Jackson. Feeling worldly. How are you? Man, I'm doing good. Weather here in Bellingham, Washington is ideal. I got a delicious stogie. I'm in the studio. Got a killer guest today. Life is good. But man, that shit on Sunday sucked. Like, like this team didn't even look like they belonged in the same league as the 49ers. And like, I get that there are always games like that in the NFL, but it had to be pretty disheartening for the Hawks. For the Hawks, sure. I think that my mindset going into that game was maybe the healthiest it's ever been entering <laughs> a Sunday because it was kind of like, nah, well, not necessarily nothing to gain, but like for the 49ers, it was like less to gain and everything to lose sort of thing. Like there was epic disaster potential for the Trey Lance discourse if sure. uh, the Seahawks had managed to pull that off. Obviously, um, some unfortunate events didn't allow that to come to fruition, uh, both on the injury front and the uh, successfully executing the game of football front. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, I mean, it was, it was whatever it was. The yeah. line was huge. And uh, everybody that thought that the Seahawks were going to Seahawk their way into covering was sorely mistaken. Oh, guilty, guilty, man. I'm, I'm scraping up my mortgage this month. Cause uh, I definitely thought they were going to keep that within 10. <laughs> and then like halfway through the second quarter, I was like, the fuck was I thinking? <laughs> Well, I mean, honestly, you know, as much of a bummer as the game was, we are fortunate to be able to talk about it. Uh, not only that and the implications from the loss, but also about the upcoming game with the Falcons and what to expect for the rest of the season with today's guest. If you're a football fan on Twitter, you're probably familiar with his popular account at four verts. He writes about the NFL for Yahoo Sports, and he's kind enough to share his evening with us. He is Charles McDonald. Charles, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh I I know way too much about the Seahawks just from Twitter, so I <laughs> uh, you guys are a weird, rambunctious bunch. Uh, so I'm I'm interested to see like how this podcast is received uh, once we're done with it. But I expect <laughs> to be a good time. I mean, I look. I'm I'm a I'm a Falcons fan, but I wouldn't say that I like them. So if, if you're you know if people are listening to this, expect me to get like a a homer perspective. You're you're kind of in the wrong spot. Hey, it's- <laughs> Honest, honestly, it's the same for us with the Hawks, man. The goal, I mean, obviously they're our team, but the goal is to see things clearly. And before we dive into that, first of all, man, congratulations on the Yahoo Sports gig. That just went down, huh? Yep. Uh, well, <laughs> kind of. I, I mean, I agreed to the offer like back in probably about over a month ago. Uh, but I don't know. There is some background check stuff where they just took forever. Uh, but, you know, I was able to start this week. Uh, Jory Epstein, who used to cover the Cowboys for USA Today, joined me. So we're the two new new kids on the block. But I'm excited. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, my podcast, The Exemplist, is coming back. Yahoo acquired it. So uh, that'll be up and running next, in the next couple of weeks. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited that uh, 
it, it, I, I will say this. It was nice to to just be able to watch football, like, without having to work the past couple of weeks. But, you know, I'd see, like, talk to all my friends. They're just like, oh, yeah, I'm talking to this person, this person. I'm like, uh, I want to get back out there. And uh, yep. now it's time. Yep. Well, you know, to that point, I know your attention is split between every game each week, but I also know you cover everything close enough to give some insight into the debacle the Seahawks suffered at the hands of the Niners. A lot of us can sometimes be too close to our favorite team to maintain that 20,000 foot view of things. So I'm curious what your impressions of that one were. Um, <laughs> I kind of think that like the 49ers as constructed are perfectly like they're perfectly built to just beat the hell out of this Seahawks team. Because, like, I think you can be really high on the potential of Charles Cross and Abe Lucas, but, you know, get, facing this defensive front in your second full NFL game, that's a tough task. Uh, and I think I think, I think that's kind of like, to me, that's one of the biggest stories of the game. Uh, I thought that Geno Smith played all right, like, based on what was given to him. But, you know, ESPN has uh, the 49ers with nine quarterback hits. And it felt like he was under pressure a lot. But, you know, that makes sense. You know, the last time we saw this 49ers defense, like, at their peak, they were shutting down the Rams' offense. Uh, they made their way to the MC Championship game. They shut down the Packers' offense last year, too. D'Amico Ryans is, like, widely lauded as one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. And they have the talent up front to, to really execute whatever he wants to run. You got two rookie offensive tackles. I don't know. I, don't, I, I think if you were maybe, like, expecting the offense to have a great day, might have been drinking the Kool-Aid a little bit from, you know, beating uh, Nate Hackett and whatever he, whatever <laughs> problems he's got going on out there. I don't know what his deal is, but, you know, maybe that loss was just more about Nate Hackett being bad then. Uh, and, and I think, Hey, you know, don't, I, don't, I don't take that away from us, man. It's the only I'm, thing no, we I'm got this year. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not trying to take it away. No, nah, you're right. You you're right. Be, you're you right. should be thrilled. You should be thrilled. But I, I, I think that, you know, this, this 49ers game is probably closer to where, you know, the Seahawks are going to be all season. Not that they're going to score, like, one touchdown and not be able to run or get a pass off all game. Uh, but in the fact that it's probably going to be a long season. But not this week. No, you're, you're right. And, and to my point, and I said this in my article after the game, is if, if we're giving an honest assessment of that game, the 49ers are superior to the Seahawks in every single positional group, with the exception of maybe wide receiver. But when you can't get the ball to your wide receivers, that doesn't really matter. And, and you know, you mentioned that Gino looked pretty good given what he had to work with. He completed 80% of his passes against an excellent defense. And it's kind of wild to see how the Gino Smith that came into the league, which was much more kind of freewheeling, putting up just banana stats at West Virginia, uh, coming in and, and was a little bit more of a turnover guy, uh, closer to what we see with like a, a Jameis Winston. And now he's kind of a put the ball on the money when it needs to get there guy. Uh, I guess the question remains to be seen whether there's a really high ceiling with him, but you're right. I, I thought he did play pretty well, but to your point about the tackles. I mean, I think that's just one where you look at that game. If you're Charles cross, a Lucas, if you're the offensive line coach and say, Hey, this is going to be a learning experience. Like this is, this is as good as it gets in the game of football. So what can we learn from this? Cause you're not shutting out Nick Bosa. I think you're learning that it's really hard to block someone like Nick Bosa. Uh, mm-hmm. I think ESPN has Nick Bosa credited with two sacks, two TFLs, and five of the nine quarterback hits. That's that's kind of what you're expecting from an elite an elite pass rusher like that. But you know, I I I, I think it's so early into the season, not only the season, but like their careers that put putting any long like 
meaning onto this is, you know, I don't, I don't really think that that's necessary. You got your ass whooped. That yep. happens is football. Uh, yes, it does. It's your second game. You're going against, like I said, argue, like, you know, if you want to tell me that Nick Bosa, you think Nick Bosa is like the best pass rushing defense in football, like you certainly have a case uh, for that take. And I think you, you just kind of move on to the next game. Uh, I don't I don't think there needs to be like any referendum on what this means for Abe Lucas or Charles Cross long term or really what it means for this Seahawks offense uh, for the rest of the season because, you know, I, I think the, just from the merit of getting more reps, they're so early into their careers, but they both have like such good profiles to be long-term success stories of tackles that maybe the next time that you guys play, this is, this looks completely different just from the benefit of them having – more experience, more reps, and just kind of just figuring out how to be an effective NFL tackle. Yeah, you know, and something we've talked about on the show a fair amount is, for me, this season is about diagnosis. It's about seeing what you've got and tracking progress throughout the season. I'm far more interested in the progression of Charles Cross and Abe Lucas and some of the other rookies and young players on this team than I am about wins and losses. And it's the first time in 10 years that that's really been the case. And it's kind of nice, honestly, to be able to, in, in the same way you got to step away from work and just enjoy some football, uh, the last couple of weeks, it's, it's kind of nice, you know, covering the Seahawks and just being a fan to say like, all right, you know, my, my Sunday's not ruined if they lose, what, what are they putting on tape that you can work with? And, you know, not a lot this last game. I mean, they never could, yeah. you know, it was obvious they wanted to like run the ball, but once it's 13, nothing, it's, it's kind of tough to do that. Yeah. You, you got to get back in the game by throwing it and you weren't, <laughs> you weren't getting much on the ground regardless. So, uh, you know, that to me, that was one of those games where you, you figure out pretty quick, okay, running the ball is not going to be an answer, but you know, you didn't really have an answer either way. Tyler Lockett, you know, he had himself a nice little game, but I, I think moving forward, you definitely want to get more at DK Metcalf because that was a that was a pretty quiet performance on his part. And if if the Seahawks are going to be, you know, this team that ends up being feisty for a rebuilding team, they're they're going to need DK to live up to the contract that you just signed. Yes, and you know it's it's kind of one of those things where there's there's the box score and then there's the game. I mean, he had what would have been on the short list for catch of the year on a 52 yard bomb that got erased on the legal man downfield. Maybe we're looking at his, his performance a little differently. If it's five catches for 88 yards instead of four for 36, but you're right. You know, I mean, it makes you wonder, is there a way to scheme more for DK or can teams just shade over the top? Uh, Cause that's one thing through two games. He outside of, you know, that deep catch that he made, which was exceptional. That was also on a trick pass. You know, that was, that was a, a double pass throwback. Uh, the question is, can Gino, can this offense get DK down the field where he really goes from being an effective wide receiver to like a nuclear weapon? Yeah. I, I mean, it's possible. We, we saw some of it last year. Um, I don't know which primetime game it was, but I think like Gino opened the, the game with like a, a bomb for a touchdown. With DK Against the Saints, out. yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Your favorite team. That. Yeah. <laughs> Garbage organizations, terrible stuff going on over there all the time. Uh, <laughs> Just cheering on Mike Evans. Oh, all the time, yeah. Like that, That's one of them. It, I, it was definitely a cheap shot, but I don't care. Like yeah, I think the Nickel Roby Coleman play is one of the greatest plays in NFL history. Um, well, 
Well, you you know, you mentioned the the long Gino to DK touchdown last year. That was against Marshawn Lattimore, where DK just basically beasted him to the ground. Yeah. So you can you can revel in that a little bit. It's good stuff. Yeah, uh, but there's no reason like I, I I would be stunned if this level of production like lasted the entire season. Uh, he's just too big, strong, fast, and you know, at some point, I think Gino's just gonna have to let it rip and just give your guys chances down the field because. You know that that's also like that's maybe, maybe the stakes are a little bit higher for Gino because he's like playing for his career to a degree this season, even if the rest of the guys aren't. But there should be no harm in just flinging him a couple deep balls a couple times a game, just so he can get a step on someone. Because we've seen him time and time again, we can get behind the defense. I mean, he's just absolutely unstoppable. Or if he, if he, even even if you give him like the ball on a slam. With, screen, with space in front of him, we we've seen him be just a monster after catch because he's so goddamn big. But uh, I I would be surprised if you know this level of production lasts for DK. I mean, right now he's on target for like 600 yards this year. I I would expect that definitely to go up. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. And you know, since you mentioned it and talking about Geno needing to push the ball down the field at least a few times a game, if nothing else, to keep the defense honest, but. I would say even more so give your best player a chance to just go win for you. Uh, One thing that Pete Carroll talked about yesterday, I believe was his feeling that Gino is ready to handle an expanded play sheet that he's able to start opening things up, looking for more explosive plays. Mike, do you have that quote? You know, I do. So Pete (laughs) said on Brock and Salk after two weeks of watching Gino play, we don't need to hold him back at all. Gino has got his game ready to go. We need to trust him and maybe give some more opportunities and stuff. We've been pretty solidly conservative, counting on running the football. When we didn't run the football, we didn't have as much of a mix that we needed. We can do better with that. Whether that's right or wrong, that's not the point. The point is we need to keep expanding. We have too many explosive avenues to go to, and we've got to make sure these guys show up. Charles, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I, I mean, I think you do have too many, like, explosive guys. A lot of teams would kill to have title lock in DK Metcalf. Uh, and to me, to me, I, I just think the biggest thing for, for, like, how that materializes for us this season is just, you know, you're going to have to deal with the variance of starting two rookie tackles. Uh, and, like, if you want to be one of these teams that, like, like you have been in the past, really, like where you're going to be taking a lot of these deep shots, such as Russell Wilson was there. Uh, those guys are just going to have to hold up a little bit better than they did on Sunday. And likely you're not going to be facing Nick Bosa, uh, Ark Armstead. You know, you know, the thing about San Francisco is that they're so good at developing talent, too. Like, there will always be a couple guys that you haven't heard of. Uh, you know, DJ Jones, a guy in Denver right now, is someone who is uh, with San Francisco as an undrafted free agent and ended up playing pretty well. They have someone named like Kevin Gibbons who was in the background in the backfield a bunch on Sunday. Uh, and I, I really heard of him play. So, you know, that's just one of those situations where I think it was just such a, a strong case of strength versus, I don't want to say weakness, but like, you know, youth. Um, that you get into a situation where, hey, you got your ass whooped. But I, I think when you're looking at what they have for the rest of the season, you know, there's definitely going to be opportunities for explosive plays for. Lockett, Metcalf, uh, and I think that you're going to see a lot more from the running game too, just because you know you don't expect to rush for like two yards per carry every single week. That I think I think really if you're if you're really just trying to project stuff moving forward, I I thought that it was just uh, 
uh, it looked like a performance from a team that was rebuilding versus a team that was just in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. And the thing is like the Seahawks looked excellent on offense in the first half against Denver, you know, Gino completed 17 yeah. of his yeah. first 18 passes. That Denver defense is no slouch either, you know, and, and then they were solid enough in the second half to kind of help preserve the win, get, lucky with a couple fumbles at the one yard line, but it, it sounds like you and I are on the same page. I mean, this is maybe a little bit less of a full indictment of the Seahawks offense and more just a case of being overwhelmed by a superior opponent. Yeah, I think that, that's all it is. And it'll be interesting just to track like the progress the next time uh, they play. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's almost interesting from, from the 49ers standpoint too, because I think to a degree, like when Jimmy comes in, the expectations get a little higher. With, with Trey Lance, like you just don't really know what to expect. I mean, the guy's played what? He or started like four football games since 2019. I don't know what that's supposed to look like in the long term. Uh, and I, I think when you look at where this 49ers team has gotten with Jimmy in the very recent recent past, Super Bowl, almost winning a Super Bowl, I. Uh, NFC Championship game, almost getting back to Super Bowl again, this year again, uh, against the Rams. They, they, the expectation should be high for what this 49ers team can accomplish with him at the helm. Uh, but, you know, it, it obviously sucks for Trey because the, interest, the the stuff with Trey was, one, it was a big opportunity for him. And then just as, like, a football fan, being able to see, like, what Kyle Shanahan would call with, like, a true, like, power runner, a quarterback like that, it would have been pretty fun. But... Yeah, yeah, and uh, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's talk about that a little bit because the thing that stood out to me the most isn't that Garoppolo came in and looked really capable. We've known that. I mean, the Kyle Shanahan offense, you know, I I heard one of his players once talk about how he reduces everything to ones and zeros. Like, it's totally binary when it comes to what your assignments are. And so his players don't have to think they look for one key and they know it's, it's this or that. And, and that's it. And uh, a quarterback like Jimmy G in a situation like that, like you don't have to win with arm talent. You know, you've got these fleet of dudes that are impossible to tackle. Just get the ball to them on time and watch them, watch them run. But we've seen that for a few seasons. Now, the thing that stood out to me the most about when he came in and as someone that's a bit of a Trey Lance truther, it was a little odd to see. The guys were stoked, man. Like Garoppolo looked really, really happy out there. And the sideline and the huddle looked really, really happy to have him, which is crazy because the team basically put him on timeout all summer. Yeah, I would say to that, like football players, when you're on the team, you're not looking at it with, from like the same vantage point that we are. Like if I'm if I'm Debo Samuel, I'm like, hey, we've done a lot of win- we've done, won a lot of games with Jimmy. Jimmy is someone who's let me be the best version of myself. Like same thing with George Kittle. Uh, and, and and you know, I, I think just like on a personal level, it was probably comforting for them to a degree to have them come back into the game because they're like, all right, well we've done this with you a million times and we've been good together. I. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, like, they're not even thinking about the parts where uh, Jimmy, you know, maybe cuts off our ceiling to a degree where Trey doesn't. I think they're just thinking we've got something that's stable, something we recognize, something we enjoy being around. So I wasn't surprised to see them, uh, you know, kind of rally around Jimmy because I think I think Jimmy seems like a pretty well-liked guy. Uh, yeah. And 
it, it definitely seems like whatever issues he had with the front office uh, in regards to the surgery uh, didn't get to the rest of the team because, you know, I, it definitely seems like they still like playing with him. Oh, totally. And, I mean, there's not one guy on that 49ers team that was there last year that doesn't think they could have or should have won that Super Bowl. Right. I mean, I think it, I think it was Jaquiski Tart who dropped the uh, that interception at the end. He pulls that down. I mean, there's no reason to think the Niners couldn't beat the Bengals. And, you know, so so these guys know what their ceiling is uh, with Jimmy. And maybe it's not as blow the top off as it could be with Lance. But you're also getting a very solid floor that these guys know they can win a lot of games with. So, uh, you know, I, I think you're right about that. I want to return to the Seahawks offense real quick before we get into the Falcons game. One of the things that's kind of been hanging over my head since, well, honestly, since Seattle fell behind 13, nothing in that game is can the Seahawks, the way they're currently built actually overcome a two score deficit or will they be for this season, at least reliant on early leads to have a chance to win? I I don't think it's like impossible. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Look, anytime you you got some, you got DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, two guys who really at any time, if you if you hit it right in the right spot, they can go for six. No, they're um, they're legit so touchdown possible, makers. I mean, these are guys that score a lot of touchdowns every year. Right, right, yeah. So look, it's not impossible, but at the same time, I'm sorry, you started Geno <laughs> <Yeah>. Smith. <laughs> That's fair enough. <laughs> what yeah, say? yeah. <laughs> no. I think we should pivot to the DJ Dallas passing offense. Oh my god. Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah, let, let him. Uh, let, Throw some more interceptions. Here's yeah. here's the thing, man. That like, play was ridiculous. Like, I'm all for getting weird on offense, especially if you're overmatched. Like whatever you can do to increase variance when you're the worst team, do it. But they ran that weird inverse wing T diamond four running back formation twice in a row, like two times in a row. First time it worked, they got like a six yard gain. They're down near the goal line, <laughs> but then they did it again, and I mean. Look, man, I know DJ Dallas isn't a quarterback, but he's an NFL athlete. Like, you got an eight-foot receiver with a 40-inch vertical standing in the back of the end zone. Throw that shit 11 feet in the air. <laughs> like, who cares if you overthrow him? Yeah, I I, I I, would imagine that they've probably practiced that play less than, like, three times. <laughs> you know, it's just something that, hey. How could you tell? <laughs> But like even just like logistically, like you think about like how an NFL or just any football practice is, is set up. Come on, you're like you you might not even have even tried that play at full speed right. in practice. That might be something you just like. Okay, we're gonna walk through and try to catch them off guard in the game, but it didn't work. That was, no, it did that not. Was really bad. Really, really bad. Funny. I, I as someone who's not a Seahawks fan, very funny. Yeah, oh, oh, it was funny. Don't get me wrong, but it also effectively ended the game. It was seventeen nothing that point. You make it seventeen seven. All right, you know, now you got a chance. <laughs> it was seventeen nothing. You give the ball right back on the only successful drive you've had all game. Yeah, that was that was pretty much curtains at that point. But they're putting that game behind them now, though. And Seattle does return home this week, despite all the negative vibes coming out of their most recent loss. They still have a chance to leave. This game upcoming with a winning record as they host the 0-2 Falcons. Atlanta's been frisky in both their games so far. They narrowly lost to the Saints. They almost completed a wild comeback against the Rams. For Seahawks fans that are maybe a little less familiar with them, what should we expect from the Falcons on Sunday, Charles? Um, I would say the Falcons have been like surprisingly competent this year. 
because I I expected them to just be like an absolute nothing. And I, I guess they were for, you know, three quarters against the Rams on Sunday. They didn't really do a goddamn thing. Uh, but, you know, as like there are definitely criticisms of Arthur Smith that are valid, especially this year. You know, the main thing is, I don't know, for whatever reason, whether it's Arthur or Mariota, Kyle Pitts has not been a big enough part uh, of the offense so far. But I really I really do think he's, he's done a pretty good job calling plays. Um, I think he's figured out a really good role for Cordell Patterson. I think he's figured out, like, a streamlined role for Mariota that when things are clean, Mariota can execute at a pretty high level. But, you know, when it's not clean and Mariota has to think, I think that's when some of the, the issues, like, really start to come out. The offensive lines play a lot better than I thought they would uh, coming into the season. Uh, I think swapping out Drew Dolan for Matt Hennessy has been great. So, you know, it, it's interesting because I think when you watch the Falcons, it, they haven't had a quarterback that can run like this in a long time. And it it really shows, I, I guess, what Arthur Smith kind of wants his offense to be. And for what Mariota is right now, like, to be frank, like, they're kind of running like a college offense, like lots of read options. Uh, lots of RPOs. I mean, they're, they're moving the pocket a lot, trying to make clean, easy reads for Mariota, uh, for him to throw over the middle of the field and out towards the sidelines. So um, I, I've been, like, somewhat impressed to a degree because I kind of expected them to just be lifeless. Uh, Drake London's been great yeah, so yes. far uh, throughout his first two games. But they just kind of get into the spots where they just do dumb shit that just makes you lose. Like, they were up. They were basically they basically had a kill shot on the Saints because they were twenty three to ten, and Mariota scrambles on third and five, gets the first down, but then fumbles like on the ten yard line. And so you know, a drive that could have easily been a touchdown ends up for nothing, and then they fumble again on third and one, and get scooped and pawned fourth and one, and give up a game winning field goal uh, after that. And then last week, you know, they're <laughs> funny enough they were down twenty three in the third quarter. And they, you know, scratch and claw their way back, and they have a chance to, you know, throw a, a game-winning Hail Mary at the end of the game down 31-27. And Mariota just – it's like his brain short-circuited, and he just started, started running around the pocket and got strip-sacked, and that was uh, that was the end of that. So I would say, like, this Falcons team is – they've been frisky so far, which is a good place to be. Frisky but still losing. Uh, I, I think, like, there are – Definitely a lot of places where you should be uh, pleased about their progress here, Falcons fan, mainly the offensive line. Uh, and just, you know, how I think I think the way Arthur Smith has kind of got this scheme up and running a little bit with a lot of new pieces this year uh, has been interesting. But they still do the dumb, dumb things to shoot themselves in the foot and worse than they lose, like, like they always do. Yeah. It's in their DNA. Well, I, you know, I don't think either of these teams are rolling their quarterback of the future out <laughs> on Sunday, but let me ask you this. I think the Falcons should, but yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they might actually have him. <laughs> they might actually have him on the roster, unlike Seattle, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm with you at some point this season, we're seeing what Desmond Ritter has. And, and Ritter is a guy that I liked a lot, uh, at least relative to this year's draft class. So I'm curious to see what he can hey, do. He, he was lights out in the preseason, man. Yes, like, he was. was. Some really impressive stuff. He looked he he uh, looked in control, and that's like kind of the the big thing I think with the quarterback early on is does he look like he knows where he's supposed to go when he's supposed to go there? Because all these guys have the natural athletic ability or the trained athletic ability to make NFL throws. It's just 
can you do it when the heat is on? And and he looks like he looks like he can. But coming back to Mariota, obviously we've talked a little bit about Geno Smith. Which team do you think has the quarterback advantage in this one? Um, push. Yeah, that was, I, I, it's a cop out answer, but no, no, I, I, think, I don't think it is. I think it's an honest one. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not super wowed by either guy, but both guys in the right in in like the right setup can give you stretches of play where your offense looks like a real NFL offense. Uh, I mean, the Falcons week one, both both teams week one. You know, I, I would say for the vast majority of the game against the Saints. I thought Mariota played pretty well. You know, it's just two personal shape mistakes that he made that kind of got you in the gutter. And then, you know, for Geno Smith, I thought he was pretty good for the most part, too, in that first game. Uh, and then, you know, last week maybe wasn't as easy for either of them. Uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see <laughs> if one of them can just avoid the disaster game. Because that – that but both of both these guys have, like, big disaster potential. I mean, I just saw Mariota take a strip sack on a Hail Mary – a couple of days ago, yeah. uh, you, you you would like to just get a little bit more baseline stabilized play out of uh, out of the two, but I, I think as far as like what the expectations for them should be this season, it's pretty similar. Be competent, be steady, don't be disaster for your veteran. Right, right. So, all right, if we got to push a quarterback, let's let's do this. Let's take a look at the skill position players. You look at Seattle's running backs and receivers versus Atlanta's running backs and receivers. Who do you give the edge to there? Um, oh, Seattle. Uh, just because, you know, you got locked in in Metcalf. Uh, and, you know, I, I do kind of like, like, I like at least like the Atlanta's pairing of um, uh, Atlanta's pairing of Cordero Patterson and Drake London. Like, if you're looking at the wide receivers and running backs, but nothing's going to top that, you know, Metcalf and Lockett that you have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I think the ceiling is very high with Pitts and London, but. We've actually seen it from Lockett and Metcalf. We've seen all pro uh, sustained production from these guys. I agree. I, I definitely think Seattle's got an advantage at running back as well. Much as I love Cordero Patterson, I think Algier has a little bit of juice. But uh, I'm with you. I, I do think that if both teams are effective in getting the ball to their playmakers on Sunday, Seattle does have the edge there. How about the offensive line? Um. Mm. I don't know because I feel like on paper neither neither unit's great. Um, I I think I would go push here because I I I think Atlanta's guard Chris Lindstrom. I I think he's like quietly like one of the better guards in the league. Drew Dahlman is kind of an unknown at center, but he he's played pretty well so far. Jake Matthews is kind of is, he is what he is at this point. You're gonna get a lot in pass pro, not a lot uh, on the run blocking side, and then. McGarry has become kind of this up and down guy. So, you know, I, I think they're kind of similar in, hey, like I'm expecting you to, you know, be competent based on the players that we have, but I'm also not bewildered if, you know, we have a disaster game and everything goes wrong for us up front because, you know, it's not like this is one of the best lines in the league. It's just they've it, we're able to scrape together. A couple guys that are overperforming right now as far as Atlanta goes and then as far as Seattle goes. It's just you got the talent but it's going to need time to mold into something that's like consistent every week. Yeah, I think you're right there. We, we've talked a lot about Seattle's offense. I want to switch sides, talk about their defense a little bit. The defense was awesome against Denver. I mean, just no way around. Yes, they were opportunistic uh, with a couple of, of fumbles, but they also played really tough. And, and given that they were playing uphill against San Francisco 
and were on the field for 40 minutes. I thought they held their own pretty well. When you look at the front seven of Seattle versus the front seven of Atlanta, is there a big gap there in your mind? Man, Atlanta's front seven is terrible. Yep, I, that's why I'm asking. I'm, I'm hoping you're telling me there's a big gap there. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, I, I would say, like, Atlanta has the best player, right? Brady Jarrett. But then Seattle probably has, like, like two through ten, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it, it's really not pretty as far as Atlanta goes. Like, I do I'm, – I'm, I'm pretty big on – uh, Arnold Edicati that they drafted in the second round. Yeah, State. I know he's a, he was he was a uh, a target for Seattle. Uh, he had a sack in his first game against um, against the Saints. I think he's someone that shows a lot of promise. Uh, but mm, there's not there's not too much to, to write home about either way. Like once you get past Brady Jarrett, it's just like the guys. You know, you got Lorenzo Carter, Rashawn Evans. Uh, that's all you got, really. <laughs> Outside of that, you you're, you're, you kind of just start from scratch. No, I, I do think that that's where Seattle does have the edge in this game is is on defense. And, and we can talk about the secondaries, too, because that's where the real promise with the Seahawks lies, in my opinion. I mean, they do have some ballers up front, for sure. You know, I like Daryl Taylor. I like Nchenu Wosu. Jordan Brooks is obviously a favorite of mine. Cody Barton's played really well the first two weeks of the season. All that's great, but... I'm really excited about Seattle's secondary. Obviously, losing Jamal Adams, big deal. Anyone who's listened to this show knows that I'm a fan of Adams. I think he's much better than he showed last year. He's obviously been nicked up a ton since the trade. See him lose the season right off the bat is, is really tough because all the reports coming out of camp and, and really all the reports when they were interviewing for defensive coordinators and the rest of the defensive coaching staff kind of revolved around how are you going to re-weaponize Jamal Adams. But, you know, e- even without him, they got Quandre Diggs. I'm a huge fan of their corners, uh, Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant. Sidney Jones, Michael Jackson played really well as well. I'd, for those who aren't as familiar with Atlanta secondary, they they got anybody they can keep up with, Metcalf and Lockett? AJ Terrell, really good. Casey Hayward has, like, spurts where you can tap into him being young, but, you know, not really. I uh, I think a big a big loss for them was uh, Isaiah Oliver uh, having to start the season on IR because um, they were really counting on him to come in and be a slot corner. I think like if you had looked at you know a room with AJ Terrell, Casey Hayward, and then Isaiah Oliver, who like Isaiah Oliver is kind of weird because I remember when he was coming out of Colorado, like the comp was like you know Seattle Richard Sherman style long outside corner but then he sucked at that and randomly has been really good uh in the slot for atlanta but he's not playing right now so you know with him gone and you're down to guys like darren hall who man don't even get me started on that guy just i've I've never seen someone fall so much like you you can't be a cornerback like if you're going to fall every other play uh, so, you know, they don't really have that, that much going on at cornerback outside, like A.J. Terrell, I would say. Uh, A.J. Terrell, man, he just has, he's had some bad luck this year because uh, even even versus Saints, like, uh, I think the touchdown he gave it to Michael Thomas towards the end of the game, blanket coverage, and James just put it, like, in the one spot where you can you, – where Michael Thomas can catch it. He, he, had a, he, got, he did get got last week by Alden Robinson, but for the most part, I think his play has been pretty good. Uh, and I expect it to improve, but you know, 
it's kind of the thing that they were struggling with last year. It's like, okay, well, there's AJ Terrell on one side of the field. I could just throw it at not AJ Terrell and get free real estate because that's kind of where the Falcons defense is. Uh, I do kind of like their safety duo. I, I like, you know, Jalen Hawkins, I think, is uh, an underrated guy, and Richie Grant has been better than last year. Uh, but overall, this, this isn't like a, a fierce secondary, even really a secondary that Seattle should, should struggle against. I, I think the biggest thing for Atlanta is their pass rushes is awful. Uh, they have to they have to scheme up so much stuff. And I know that Dean Pease is someone that's going to do it anyways, but, you know, when, if you're going to be a team that has to blitz a lot, and, you know, run some of these maybe exotic four-man blitzes where you have, you know, corners rushing and defensive linemen dropping, then you're, you're going to get gashed at some point just because you have guys doing things that they don't normally do. So uh, Atlanta's defense, not scary at all, never has been. They've had one good defense in, like, the 20-plus years that I've been a fan in 2017, and that was the year that they lost to Nick Foles in the playoffs, so. You know, we don't we don't really do defense now. It's not really our thing. We're more about being flashy on the offensive side of the ball every once in a while. Hey, I've I've always said you can you can be bad or you can be boring, but you can't be both. And and one thing about the yeah. Falcons, they are not boring. No, see that's the problem. Like I, sometimes <laughs> I, I wish they were they were just like you know like like what the Jets have been, where it's like oh, okay whatever, see the stars, meh. But even last year, after you trade Julio Jones, you're like okay. Hey, I, I'll stick around and watch Kyle Pitts. Yeah, like, totally. That's interesting. This year, oh yeah, I'll stick around and watch this Kyle Pitts Drake one in offense. And they 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 have just enough big name talent, just enough like star borderline superstar talent to keep you invested, even when the rest of the team is complete dog shit. Which is where they are again this year. They're just hot enough, man. <laughs> yeah, because I, I I think like you could look at you know if if you're looking at the Falcons like best let's call it best three players. Or, or top four players, top five players to build around. Grady Jarrett, Kyle Pitts, AJ Terrell, Drake London, Cordell Patterson. That's kind of fun. That's kind that's, of fun. That's a fun and team it, on NFL Blitz right there. It's a, it's a, I can tell you right now, Kyle Pitts, great, one of the best assets you can have in Madden franchise mode right now. Yeah. Just unbelievable. <laughs> uh, but it's, uh, it doesn't work like that in real life. And they get their ass kicked every week because they're not a complete football team. They just, you know, it's it's a bunch of stars and then guys who would be death guys and other teams, but they're starting here. Yeah. Well, Vegas currently has the line, at least last I saw, as uh, two and a half points in favor of the Seahawks, which tells me that money sees these teams as pretty much dead even on neutral field. Home field advantage usually worth about three points to Vegas. Uh, if you had to bet scary money, like money that freaks you out to lose on Seahawks minus two and a half, which side of that line would you take? Um, see, yeah, Seahawks. Uh, I don't know. I really, I really don't know why because I, I think these teams are pretty even right now. Um, it, it's weird. Like they're they're both kind of in similar spaces where they're rebuilding, but they have a lot of high end talent that you can still get excited about and watch. So, you know. I think it could kind of go either way, but you know, I, I think I'll pick the Seahawks just because the Falcons, <laughs> in in you know, at, at least so far this season, they were a little bit better last year, but at least so far this season, they've shown when they get into you know these tight games, they kind of falter down the stretch and don't really know how to finish them out. So uh, I'll roll with the Seahawks for that. Yeah, I, I feel that way too. I mean, and I, I think I I think I would with my pocketbook too, just 
if I could remove myself as a Seahawks fan. I just, especially as you and I just went through each position group, I do think that the advantage, there's there's just more check marks on Seattle's side of the ledger than Atlanta. But I feel like with these two teams, it's also going to come down to something really weird in the fourth quarter. Yeah. I expect to be a close game in the fourth quarter. And then, you know, between Marcus, like the, then it becomes Marcus Mariota, Geno Smith, Hero Ball. And that that's magical in its own right. Uh, before we move off of the Falcons, we got to talk a little bit about Matt Ryan, right? Like this guy, obviously the stalwart oh, he's for he's you. Washed. <laughs> he's washed. Okay. <laughs> did Indy, did Indy uh, fuck up their quarterback situation for the third straight year? I don't know. I don't know. Like, it's because Matt had he did have some nice plays week one. Like he had a really nice pass to Alex Pierce for a touchdown that got dropped. Uh, he got a little bit better throughout the game, but you know, tying in a like a comeback tie against the Houston Texans is not really all that impressive. Uh, and then last week against Jacksonville, that was just terrible. But you know, I will say Matt has these games like like he'll he'll, he'll just have games like that randomly, which is kind of like separating him from being you know, in that elite tier, like super duper elite tier over his career because he'll just have these games that are stinkers. And I think as the the margin for error gets smaller and smaller from that, he's going to have to figure out uh, how to do that. But, you know, I don't I don't think it's like completely over for him, but I will say he, he definitely looks worse than last year. Because I thought, I didn't see that last year that he had showed enough where I would have been fine with him coming back to be Atlanta's quarterback this year. Uh, there were a handful of games where he just put the team on his back and yep. they were able to figure out ways to win. Uh, you know, the, the game that they had against the Dolphins last year where he just made huge throws to come down and beat them at the end of the game. Uh, he had basically a near flawless game in New Orleans last year. And, you know, this is with the offense that had probably the worst offensive line in the league and a bunch of new supporting cast and a new coach. So I got to say, like, I am a little bit surprised at how bad Matt's been because, it, to me, last year watching him play, I thought he had a couple of quality years left. But uh, I, 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 I honestly tend to think that for guys late in their career, that change of scenery can be a lot harder than maybe you let on because it, you know it's not just like Madden, like where you know I'm flipping you know my my 82 overall quarterback for an 86 overall quarterback. Uh, it's more like you know I'm about to uproot somewhere where I've been for 15 years, uproot the routines I've had for 15 years uproot, you know, my family, all the relationships I've had, and then go somewhere else and try to figure out, you know, this brand new city plus uh, new offense, new teammates. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if that looks a little bit better, you know, around midseason. But, I mean, there's no stupid point. It's been an absolutely terrible start, and they look like the worst in the NFL right now. So we obviously saw the Phillip Rivers experience then the Carson Wentz experience, and now the Matt Ryan experience in Indy. I'm curious who you guys think would be the funniest pivot for 2023. Like, is it if Aaron Rodgers forces his way out and Jim Ursay gets himself all worked up in a frenzy, and then he just shits himself for 17 weeks straight? The the funniest answer is Jameis. Yeah. Or if, like, Jerry just goes completely senile and convinces himself that Cooper Rush is, like, the answer to the Cowboys, <laughs> then getting Dak would be, would be pretty funny, too. Cooper Rush is the Jason Garrett of quarterbacks. Yeah, I thought, I thought it was funny that this past offseason, Baker Mayfield was like floating reports out there like, yeah, I'm interested in the Colts. And then the Colts were floating reports back out there, but we're not interested in you. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know this this does this does bring up something that is worth mentioning though is it is so tempting to draw conclusions after two weeks but like if you had never seen joe burrow play before and all you saw was the beginning of this season you would not think that he is one of the most valuable assets in the nfl so like i mean not to say that matt ryan is anywhere near joe burrow's level overall and i guess that's kind of my point it's just like I got to think he is better than what we've seen so far. I think Russell Wilson is better than what we've seen so far. Uh, I don't think Carson Wentz or (laughs) Tua are as good as what we've seen so far. You know, I mean, you just get some outlier performances this early in the season. And and I think it's a good reminder for all of us with all of our favorite teams that unless your team has been dog shit for two straight weeks, like completely, or are just eviscerating their opponents, like the bills and the Eagles, uh, you know, it's okay to reserve judgment in the middle of September. Yeah, that, that two performance, I think it's going to be interesting, interesting to see what happens with them the rest of the season because <laughs> when you have two guys like that, you can you can have outlier performances like that where everything clicks for you and you are just racing down the field and scoring touchdowns. But that the, the three quarters prior to that, fourth quarter, were kind of closer to what Tua has always been, and then you had – the fourth quarter, which is obviously crazy, so it's going to be interesting to track, especially, like, especially for what Buffalo has done so far this year. Like, because they play Dolphins play Buffalo next, that that's got to be like the matchup of the week because Buffalo has just absolutely eviscerated, you know, the Titans and the Rams. Now they get off of that fourth quarter, the hottest passing offense in the NFL to see what can happen. Uh, I, I I don't expect Buffalo to have the same level of coverage bus as Baltimore because, uh, you know. Kyle Hamilton really, really, really looked like a rookie safety in that game because I there were a few plays at the end where he gave up touchdowns where just totally in the wrong spot, not anywhere close to where he's supposed to be. But uh, Buffalo, Micah High and Jordan Poirier, you don't really have that issue. No, you also can get away with just sending four guys every play and keep seven guys back. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be a lot tougher right. for, for Waddle and Hill to get behind the defense when the defense never has to gamble. Yeah. Yeah, that Buffalo defense is something crazy right now. Dude, uh, unbelievable. This is the second year in a row. I, I think an underrated thing about last year's Buffalo defense is, like, they quietly, like, <laughs> had one of the best pass defenses in NFL history, and we didn't really talk about it because they got crushed towards the end of uh, the season by Mahomes. But, you know, he, he, Mahomes can do that to anybody. So I, I wasn't really pressed by that. And then for them to come back and get two rookie corners that are balling, like, Man, they're they're just a juggernaut on defense right now. Uh, they don't even I'm, got Tre'Davious. They don't even got Tre'Davious White. Right. Like nope. they're, they're just going to add maybe the best corner in the NFL to that defense <laughs> that yep. now has Von Miller. Yep, that has Von Miller, um, Jordan Poyer, Micah Hyde, Kyrie Elman's playing well, and then uh, Benford, the six round rookie, who's playing at a really high level right now too. Uh, so good luck. Yeah, I'm glad my yeah. team's not contending because I'll be scared of them. Yeah, well, this, this is why we were stoked to have Charles on, man. We talked about the league a little bit, but I do want to bring it back to the Seahawks. It's clear that they are going through a rebuild or retooling, depending on your perspective. But I do think there are some promising young players on this team. Charles, when you look at Seattle's roster, who excites you? Um, I'm both tackles do Charles Cross, Abe Lucas. Uh, I'm really I, I like the draft class a lot. Uh, Charles Cross, Kent Walker. Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce. I forgot the edge rusher's name. Uh, Mafe. Yeah. Um, Boye Mafe. Yeah, Boye Mafe. Uh, a Lucas, like I just said, I 
I, I felt like as far as, you know, because I think sometimes when you look at these rebuilding drafts where you don't take a quarterback, it's like, all right, let's get back to just looking like a football team again, like just a steady football team. Not that Seattle really had that problem in, in ways like teams like the Jets and the Jaguars have over the past few years. Uh, but, you know, it, it was a good foundation draft. You know, you got your Chris Carson replacement with someone who might, who, who has, I think, higher upside than him. You got two two tackles that are starting for you right now and potentially, you know, an edge rusher that can be a heavy part of the rotation for the next few years. So um, I thought it was a great draft. All those guys I'm pretty high on. And I think just for, like, the purpose of building a base that maybe the next quarterback can come in and have guys around him ready to play, it was a, it was a strong draft. Yeah, well, it's encouraging to hear you say that because Mike and I uh, podcasted live during the draft, and and especially every time Malik Willis was there. I mean, when you got Malik Willis <laughs> on the board for your first four picks, you know, we because we went into it like, don't draft a quarterback this year, like build the house, move the quarterback into it next year, and then like he just kept falling. Ma- Malik is still there. Malik is still there. Falling. You start to say like, okay, maybe, but. You know, they, they stuck to the plan and, you know, I, I agree with you. I think there is a lot of upside and the early returns are good on all the guys you mentioned. Um, honestly, the two guys I'm most excited about besides the tackles are the corners that they got really late. Yeah. Uh, you know, they got Kobe Bryant who won the, uh, the Jim Thorpe award is the best, uh, best secondary player in college football. Tariq Woolen was completely dominant in training camp and has looked amazing. Uh, you know, quarterback rating is not, or passer rating is not the best way to judge, but it is a pretty good foothold. I think it's like 50 when targeting Tariq Woolen so far this year, which is bananas for a rookie. So, I mean, the pieces feel like they're there. Yeah. Uh, I've forgotten about the cornerbacks, but you know, just when you get, when you look at the whole draft, like it, it, it feels like there's something to be excited about with just about every single pick. And <laughs> I don't think most teams can say that. So yeah, well, uh, we we certainly you know, haven't been able was, to say was, that for a long time. Oh yeah, because you guys been <laughs> brutal. I was, <laughs> was been... laughing at the uh, the 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 TCU defensive lineman they drafted. Oh uh, man, LJ Collier. Yeah, LJ Collier. LJ. Yes, yes. Yeah, uh, the the Malik McDowell yeah. tragedy. Yeah, that was the, the the LJ pick. That was one of those picks like from an outsider's perspective. As soon as it went through, you're like, oh, that's that's a bust. Like that's not. That's not working out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. 25, not a, not a great athlete, but I don't know. <laughs> he had heavy hands, though, Charles. He had heavy hands at the Senior Bowl. Yeah, really knocked his bags over. Like, I could go out there and knock the bags over. I'll like 10 years. Well, listen, man, I know it's getting on into the night where you're at, so I want you to know how much we appreciate your time today. Before you get out of here, why don't you tell the folks listening where they can get more of you? Yeah, you can find me uh, at Yahoo Sports now. I started this week. Uh a podcast, the exemplist will be coming back, you know, in the next couple of weeks, going to rebrand new logo, all that jazz now that it's over at Yahoo. So, um, yeah, excited to get back to work and, uh, excited to see where this game takes us on Sunday. Cause I'm sure it's going to be very, very strange, especially towards the fourth quarter. Right on, man. Mike and I are obviously big fans of yours and I look forward to continuing to be educated and entertained by your work this season. As for us, you can find me on Twitter at at Jackson Bevins. That's J-A-C-S-O-N. Mike is at at Mike Barwin. And the show itself is at Cigar Thoughts. You can also find us on Instagram at Cigar Thoughts NFL and on Facebook at Seahawks Cigar Thoughts. Of course, 
You can listen to this show and read every one of my articles at fuelgoals.com slash cigar thoughts. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you like the show, drop us a five-star rating and leave a quick review. We feel extraordinarily blessed to have the support that we've gotten from you guys, whether it be sharing this on social media, leaving us the reviews. I mean, we got over 95 star reviews now. That's crazy to me. Uh, It's been really, really amazing to just feel the love and support from you guys. So uh, that allows us to keep doing what we're doing. We'll be back soon. But in the meantime, onwards and upwards, my friends. (laughs) 